Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, there's a lot going on. I don't know if you guys recognize that, but a lot going on these days. And I realize I don't share it all with you guys. And so I, I thought I'd share a couple of different things with you. One, a lady told me a couple of weeks ago, she said, hey, would you share this um, story that happened just a couple of weeks ago at church? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Of course. So she told me two weeks ago, there was an envelope with her name on it uh, here at the church. And so she opened up the envelope and there was a thousand dollars in the envelope. So how cool is that? But right away when she uh, opened that up, the Lord told her, you can't spend it. You, you can't spend it, um, which I would have really had to strongly hear from the Lord uh, <laughs> for that to happen. But so she gave $100 as a tithe, and then she gave $100 uh, to someone else to bless them. But then she was telling me, and she goes, please share this with the church. Uh, then that week she got a uh, bill for $800. And to the dollar, the Lord had provided for that bill. So just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. As you guys know, also, we've been praying uh, for a lot of people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit over the last three, four weeks. And I've really enjoyed that. Really enjoyed that opportunity to see uh, what God is doing uh, in the church uh, just by His Holy Spirit and the power of His Holy Spirit. Uh, one of the ladies that uh, my wife and I had the privilege of praying for in my office a couple weeks ago, um, a couple days after that, she wrote this, and, and I wanted to share it with you guys today. She said, I, I wanted to share with you the vision I got this morning while I was praying. I was praying for the Holy Spirit to continue moving in our community, for His Spirit and His love to flow through us and through our towns. And I saw this river moving down Meridian with people riding the current on rafts, the river was getting wider as it traveled along, and the people riding were reaching out, taking the hands of people on the sides and pulling them onto the rafts. We all had huge smiles on our faces, and I could feel such joy as we rode this rushing river, and the joy of the people as they were invited to jump on and be a part of the Spirit rushing through our community. It was amazing. It was so cool. God is awesome. Have a great day. Come on, church. Come on. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, Wayne and I were talking about it yesterday. It is officially June, right? I heard so many of you say exactly that same thing. Like, how can it already be June? But the reality, even if we're complaining, arguing about it, I've realized even with my complaining, as good as I, as I am at complaining, Wayne, I cannot make it still be May. So it is June. In fact, it is June 3rd. Being June 3rd, that also means that summer is just around the corner. Anybody looking forward to summer? I love uh, the summers around here. Just so beautiful. But for us, as the Birch family, summer means the road trip. The road trip. I got a couple of pictures for you. Whether it's our road trip uh, in June that we take over to Cannon Beach. And here's my little Trevin. Like, how adorable is that little Trevin? And then, that's not even Addie. That's Ava. So there's Ava playing in the sand. So we love to go to Cannon Beach. Another one of our favorite road trips is over the mountains to Spokane. And this is actually us uh, this last winter in Newport. Anybody ever been to Newport, Washington? That's where our in-laws are. This is our dog, Griffey. Um, you would see his face, but what happened is he actually smelled something down there. And so he just went for it, like all in. And he actually got something out of there. He got like a rib, like a part of a deer. He got out of the snow. So... Um, yeah, you know, dogs, they're pretty good at the sniffing. But anybody else besides us like to go on a road trip? Anybody else? Now, I get it, like, 2018, some of you aren't too into the whole thing, but anyone have a station wagon growing up? Like, just jump in the back. And remember there was the back, but then there was the way back? Anyone have the way back, right? 
<laughs> right? You go way back. And the way, way back, you didn't have to wear seatbelts. Remember that? You're like, woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Yeah, and you say, yes, absolutely. Now, it's fun, and you get to hang out in the station wagon. I remember as a kid, I was the youngest five, and yeah, same thing. Our van, no seatbelts. We had a blast. But things did happen that maybe weren't so exciting at times. Like, sometimes you would get the flat tire. Anyone ever get the flat tire on, on the trip? Talk about stressful. Like you just see how much your mom and dad love each other when they get the flat tire. Like, oh, my goodness. Or run out of gas. Definitely ran out of gas a few times. Or the navigation system. Nowadays, 2018, have you ever had the navigation system take you somewhere completely not where you tried to go? And I thought they would have had it all figured out by now, but just a couple months ago, Mary and I, we wanted to go on this nice nature walk at Ocean Shores, and we followed it to a T, and it led us right to this person's house, like right to the driveway. And I was tempted to knock on the door and be like, yeah, so we're here for the uh, nature trail? <laughs> is, it just, is it through your living room? Is it in the backyard? But there's other bad things that can happen. I, I was thinking about it just this week, um, things that I have done gotten a speeding ticket. I know none of you would admit to that because you're all Christians and no one uh, would break the law, but speeding ticket. Lost your keys. I, I lost my keys. It's kind of stressful. I, I also um, was in East Texas. For somehow, I'm, we're getting to East Texas all the time. I blame it on the Henderson family, but we keep on going to Texas, and we were driving in Texas, and the reality with East Texas is Texas has a lot of land, and there are some roads but if one of the roads is closed, that detour is going to take you a long time. And so we're driving along, and all of a sudden, no joke. This is not from a movie. This was from our road trip. We hit this. That detour took us forever. Or sometimes, maybe it's not that kind of detour. Maybe it's you trying to drive on the beach. And, yeah, anyone know that story? That's my van stuck on the beach. Uh, I actually um, have a video that goes along with that story. This is about five years ago, and I, I just want to save that for the right time. Sometime, maybe 10, 20 years later, I'm using that video because it's, it's pretty funny. In the video, I actually say, one day this will be a good sermon illustration. <laughs> but you can also get car sick. Anyone ever get car sick on Trip. Have you ever tried to read like, oh, you know what's going to be really fun on our car trip? We're going to read a novel. And then like 10 pages into the novel, you're like, that was the worst idea ever. Uh, homesick. Sometimes you just want to get home from, from the uh, road trip. Anyone ever get sick sick? You know what I mean? Like sick sick. I remember one time our whole family, we got norovirus. And I know that's TMI, but it just was not a, a fun couple of uh, days for us. Now, you can also forget a lot of things. I, I've forgotten... Uh, Quite a few uh, things. I've forgotten my toothbrush. I've forgotten my deodorant. I've forgotten my underwear. Again, I know TMI, but I, I've forgotten those things. In fact, I forgot my entire luggage. I remember showing up to our destination and not there. I've forgotten our kids. You ever forgotten your kids? Well, I, well not on the road trip, it, it, but it, well, that's another story. We'll, we'll talk about that another time. Please do not call anybody to report me. I mean, I love my kids. They're safe. Um, where are my kids? Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> There with Laura. But even with all those hiccups, don't you know, even things like having your van stuck on the beach, they can turn into memorable stories later on. But you know, as much as the Bershes love our road trips, and we really do, there's an even more important road trip that all of us are on, and it's the road trip of life. If you've attended Lifespring for any amount of time, you always hear me talk about the journey, right? You hear me talk about life being a process. And we're all at different stages on the journey. And just like the Bershes hop into our 2005 Toyota Sienna minivan and face the challenges that come along, there's also challenges 
that come along in this road trip of life. And so we're going to spend two months. We're going to spend June and July just asking the Lord, seeking the Lord to help us out. That on this journey that we wouldn't have to live in fear. I think fear is such a gripping, paralyzing thing in so many people's lives. But we wouldn't have to live in fear. We wouldn't have to just play it safe. Have you ever tried that attempt at life? That just because of the fear, you just decide, well, I'm just going to play it safe. Maybe I'm just going to stay home. Maybe I'm not going to venture out. But God would want to show you through his word that there is a journey for you. It is time to jump in the car. It's time for you to go on the adventure that God has for you. And as we've been talking about for the last month, two months, he actually wants to help you on the journey. The Holy Spirit is with us. He's in us. He's all around us, moving through us. And he will help us reach the goal, win the prize, and make it to our destination. It's going to be good. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be fun. If we could do this as loud as you can with your, your greatest uh, projecting voice, if you could repeat, repeat after me, we're going on a road trip. Quincy, we are going on a road trip. Woo! Yes, absolutely. Quincy, we are going on a road trip. Woo! Yes, absolutely. Awesome, I love it. All right, so if you're taking notes, uh, you want to write this down. Today is all about planning the trip, planning the trip, right? You don't just get in the car, start driving. I guess you could, but if you actually want to get where you're going, you need to plan it out. You got to get the oil changed. Anyone, by the way, is there a good place around here to get the oil changed? I'm always so nervous when I get my oil changed. It's because of Alan Kuykendall. He said uh, one of the places, I'm not going to mention who they are, ruined his engine because they didn't put the cap back on. Back. It's just, anyway, anyway, like where do you get your oil changed? Bakers? Okay, thank you. Like, honestly, like, I'm so stressed out now after I heard that story. But you've got to get your tires pumped up. Uh, make sure that your tires have all the air in them. You also got to do things, uh, especially in, our, in, in the Bursch household, you got to make sure you get the dog sitter. Anyone, you know, you got to have a dog sitter that you can trust, a dog sitter that will actually come to your house. If the dog sitter doesn't come to your house, you're coming home to a mess. So the dog sitter, uh, maybe water the lawns. For the Bursch family, this is a very sensitive subject. If you watch our house, you got to water the hanging baskets. No one wants to see what Mama Bursch looks like if her hanging baskets are dead when she comes home. That happened once. But more than that, you've got to figure out how much this trip is going to cost, right? How much is this going to cost? Have you ever been, and I don't want you to raise your hands on this. No one needs to admit to this. But have you ever gone on a vacation that you didn't budget for? Have you ever gone on a vacation that you didn't budget for? It kind of makes you cringe, doesn't it? Right? You just think about, you went out to eat. You stayed in that hotel. Painful, isn't it? Painful. Mary and I did that way too much when we first got married. Because why is it painful? Because if you don't have the money, where is it going? Going on a credit card. And don't you know that trip ends up costing twice as much as it should have cost if you would have just planned for it. So today we're going to talk about planning the trip, counting the cost. But before we do, would you bow your heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm so excited. I, I just filled with your spirit today. Uh, there's such a joy uh, in my heart about who you are and what you've been doing. And I thank you that our lives are not based on circumstances. It's not based on whether things are going good or going bad. It's all based on the blood of Jesus, on the fact that, Jesus, you came and you died and you saved us from our sins and you have given us eternal life with you. There is joy in the house today because of you and you alone. Would you fill us up today, God? Would you break the ground? Would you shake us, Lord, for your kingdom? Would you get us awake in this place, Lord? Would you get us to a place where we are in tune with what your spirit is trying to say? 
So speak loudly. We're here to listen. We're here to actually be changed by the power of your Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, you got your Bibles, smartphones, whatever it is, open them up to Luke. Luke, Gospel of Luke. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. We're going to be in chapter 14. So open it up, Luke, chapter 14. Once you get to 14, you're going to scan down to verse 25. 14, 25. All right, Jesus is pretty popular at this time in his ministry. He's got these large crowds following him. And he takes the opportunity to say this, verse 26. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. When did you first sit down, estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to finish it? Everyone who sees it, uh, or no, finish it. For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. They will mock you, saying, man, this person, they began to build, they weren't able to finish it. Or suppose a king, a king goes out to war against another king. When he first sit down, consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one who's coming against him with 20,000. If he's not able to, he's going to send that delegation right on over while the other is still a long way off, and he will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. You know, I've noticed people come to church for a lot of different reasons, a lot of good reasons. Some people, it's for friends, uh, getting the community. Others, it's a place for their, you know, little ones. Like we saw up on stage, the little ones can learn about Jesus and grow up in the things of God. Maybe it's so that you can become a better spouse. Or maybe you bring your spouse so your spouse can become a better spouse. Others of you, maybe it's to find purpose in your life, meaning in your life. There's a lot of different reasons people come to church. I think that's all good and fine. But then there's more than that, right? That we come to church because we love Jesus. Anybody else love Jesus? Okay, let's try it one more time. Anybody else love Jesus? Come on, why is the I-845 just like energy and falling? Is it... Did you guys already eat lunch? Or do you need to eat lunch? You need some nourishment, don't you? you need, ranchitos, they're coming. Ranchitos, they are coming. But we, kind of, we love Jesus. We want to walk in the things of the Lord. We want to grow in the things of the Lord. We want to learn how to love God, love others, right? We call that the great commandment, greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Second, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So love God, love others, but we also come to church to get equipped, right? Church is a great place to be trained up, sent out. Churches are a place where we equip the saints for the work of the ministry to fulfill the great commission. Matthew 28, you guys have heard it before. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in what name? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And, by the way, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, Jesus says, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we come to grow. We come to learn about how to love God, how to love others. But we also come to learn how to be a disciple. Right? A disciple of who? Of Jesus. Thank you, Cindy. Uh, Jesus. A disciple of Jesus who goes out and tells other people about 
Jesus. Thank you, Cindy. We learn how to be a disciple who makes disciples. That is a huge part of church. That is one of the greatest parts of church is to be a disciple who goes and makes more disciples. And I'm glad you're here today, quiet or loud. I'm glad you're here today because today's scripture gives us some powerful insight into what it means to be a disciple, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Right away, this is what he says. He goes, if anyone comes to me, does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters. Yes, even your very own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. So today you want to start your road trip with Jesus and be his disciple. You just got to start hating people. Amen. Let's close the service. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Don't tweet that. Right. We know God isn't calling us to hate our family. That would go contrary to the rest of the counsel of Scripture and the fact, by the way, that Jesus commands us to love others as he has first loved us. But we also have to understand that he is not using these words by accident. Right? That isn't a typo. The Bible didn't make a mistake. Jesus is actually making a very important point. If you want to begin your journey with Christ, if you want to be his disciple, then everything and everyone must take a back seat to the position, influence, and authority of Jesus in your life. No one else can come even close to the level of devotion and adoration that you have for Jesus. To be a disciple of Jesus, you've got to be laser-focused on him. He's your rabbi. He's your teacher. He's your guide, the one you walk with, the one you learn from. He and he alone is the one that you follow. In fact, Jesus tells us in this verse that he must become not just more important than your family, but he must become more important than even your very own life. Come on, that's a tremendous statement. And if he isn't who he says he is, if he isn't God, if he isn't really the savior of the world, then it is also a crazy statement from an insane person, and all of us should run as fast as we can far away from Jesus. And yet we know he is God, and he is the savior of the world, and so we got to listen to what he says. You can't erase it from the Bible. If you want to begin the journey with Jesus, then you must be willing to give him everything that nothing and no one would compare to him. Nobody, no family member, not even your own life. Now, when I was younger, I remember often I would say that Jesus was number one in my life. Anybody else say that right? Jesus is number one in my life. Amen, right? Number one in my life. But when I was younger, I remember in high school, the saying kind of went like this. There was Jesus, and then I had a girlfriend at the time, so I was always like, well, you're number two, but like really high number two. Like Jesus is number one, but like you're two, but, but two is good. Like two is like, it's right at the top. She hated that. She's like, I want to be number one. Anyways, but Jesus is number one. And then, yeah, like maybe your future wife is two, and maybe your kids are three. You got to put in the Mariners there, so the Mariners are probably, you know, four, at least four, you know, up there. But a much better way of looking at all of this, especially in the context of these first few verses, is, yeah, absolutely, Jesus, number one. But there is no number two. There is no list. When you start a journey with Jesus, he doesn't just become number one. He becomes the only one. Right? He becomes everything. You hear me say that all the time. Jesus is everything. All my eggs, finish it with me, church, all my eggs are in 
come on. And then Jesus, he becomes everything. And as it becomes you in Christ and Christ in you, then you begin to see with your very physical eyes something beautiful happen. When Jesus is everything, it makes all of those other relationships so much better than they would have ever been without Jesus Christ. And so that you learn how to talk like Jesus, walk like Jesus, with a love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control of Jesus. And it actually makes you, come on, this is where it's so powerful, makes you a better husband, a better son, a better daughter, a better member of your community, a better member of your neighborhood. When Jesus becomes everything, you might want to write this down, when Jesus becomes everything, Jesus changes everything. But don't pretend, I've done this, but don't pretend that you can kind of just add Jesus to your life and kind of just give him that top spot at the top of the list. Where you just kind of come into Christianity, you're just kind of walking, living your life, and then you kind of run into Jesus. You're like, oh, Jesus. Well, I, I just add a little Jesus to my life, right? Just make some room, kind of clear out some room up there at the top and give Jesus a try, right? I'm just going to give Jesus a try and see if things might get a little better. You ever tried that approach at Christianity before, right? You just make some room, you, you add Jesus to your life, and you just give him, a, give him a shot. Just try him out for a little bit. Have you ever done that? Man, I've done that. Where you just kind of put them on the list. You're like, man, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it works. And then you're like, man, this really isn't kind of going how I thought it would go. So, that's so far removed from what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ. You don't just give them a little space at the top of the list. Like, yeah, you're number one. You're not. No, when you become a Christian, there is no list. There is no list. Everything you are now belongs to Jesus. Jesus Christ is your list. Jesus is everything. As 1 Corinthians six nineteen tells us, I am no longer my own. As Colossians 3 tells me, my life, who I am, all that I am, it is now hidden in Christ in God. Christ is life. Hallelujah. I, I, I think some of us, we just got to wake up to this reality. We're, we're just kind of sleepwalking through this whole thing. We got to wake up. What I was... I no longer am. The old is gone. The old, like the old list, it is gone. This is a new thing. One of my favorite words is new. This is new. Anyway, some of you just need to hear that today. Your walk with Jesus Christ today, it is new. You are a new creation, perfectly clothed with Christ. So as disciples, we give it all away, all away to follow Jesus. The truth of my life, the truth of your life is now it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Me and Christ and Christ in me. Jesus is everything. Jesus is everything. If you want to start the journey with Christ, if you want to be his disciple, then you have to be willing to give Jesus everything. And this next point isn't going to grow a church, but it's the truth of the word today. For Jesus to be everything, you must carry your cross. If you're taking notes, you want to write that down. For Jesus to be everything, you've got to carry your cross. In the passage today, in the very next verse, verse 27, Jesus says, Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So you want to start the journey with Christ, you want to be his disciple, then you've got to carry your cross. 
And I know some of us, we wear necklaces and bracelets with crosses. And I know I, I do that a lot. I think that's great and awesome. But just so we're clear, that is not what it means to carry your cross. Right? We've got to remember, you know, in, in Jesus' day for people, the cross, it was not a fashion statement. The cross, it was an instrument of death. It was an instrument of death. It was the worst kind of execution. And so when you're carrying your cross, essentially what you're doing, just think about this, you're walking down death row to your death, right? To your execution. And there's no turning back. There's no escaping. It's total, complete commitment. Your life is now completely yielded. Your life is no longer your own. I think this is hard for some of us, but it also means that you are no longer calling the shots. So you could also say that when Jesus calls us as his disciples to carry our cross, can we just admit and and agree that it's kind of a big deal? Right? It's a big deal to be a disciple. In fact, don't you know that this is going to mess things up? Have you noticed that when you chose to follow Christ, when you said, yeah, I want to be a disciple of Christ, did you notice how it started to mess things up? If you want to stay comfortable, if you want to stay the same, if you want to keep the status quo, whatever you do, do not become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Do not carry your cross, because carrying your cross is total commitment and total surrender. Now, we've seen what that looks like, haven't we? As you read the Bible and the beautiful account of Jesus Christ, we see what total commitment looks like. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He carries his cross. He gives himself up so beautifully, completely, holy. For us to bring his father glory, right? To do the will of his father. Jesus, he carries his own cross. He walks through. I was thinking about when I was in Israel earlier this year and those uh, last year and the mocking crowds that were along the side of the Via Della Rosa, just mocking him as he went and carried his cross to Calvary. He died. But he also, in that moment, you got to understand this, church, he died to his own will and instead he commits everything to the will of his father. Remember that about Jesus? Do you remember the passion that he had to do the will of his Father? In John chapter 6, he says, I came down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him, my Father who sent me. John 14, look at the love of Jesus. He goes, I love the Father, and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me to do. He carried his cross. Thank you, Jesus, for carrying your cross. He died. He died to his own will. Instead, he obeyed the will of his Father. And for us to carry our cross, it's the same picture of you, of me, of us dying to our own will, as hard as that is, but dying to our own will, yielding, committing, surrendering to whatever the cost might be for following the Father's will for our own lives. So again, before you become a disciple, before you start the journey, you might want to consider the cost. Again, because some of us, we kind of like our will being done. I've spent a lot of effort and energy on my will being done. But carrying your cross, it's going to cost you your will. It's going to cost you your plans, your hopes, your dreams. And for 2,000 years, it has cost thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Christians their very lives. But church, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it. The cost is worth it. The reward is worth it. The great reward of new life in Jesus Christ. Jesus who loved me and Jesus who died for me. As Paul declares, I love it. It gives me goosebumps. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life, everyone say life. 
and the life, the Zoe life, which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And what could compare to the newness of life that is found in the love of Christ? Right? Sometimes, doesn't it just take your breath away? It just takes your breath away. I'm no longer identified by my mistakes and my failures. I am no longer marked. As much as people still try to mark me, I am no longer marked by my sins or my transgressions. But instead, I have been set free. I'm free. I'm forgiven. And as I yield to him, as you yield to him, guess what? Our will becomes his will. His will becomes our will. Our life becomes his life. His life becomes our life. And because he lives forever, guess who else gets to live forever? I am alive forever in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. It is worth it. A thousand times worth it. Ten thousand times worth it. Wake up. It is worth it. Man, we put God on these scales like, well, maybe I'll follow. Maybe I'll. He is worth it. Get rid of the scale. Get rid of the list. He's worth it. But you got to count the cost before you get in the van and go on the journey. Count the cost before you dare become his disciple. Because to become his disciple, to go on the journey with the Lord, it's going to cost you everything. you got to carry your cross. He gives some practical stories here, some uh, examples, uh, which... It's like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for uh, continuing to talk. First, he talks about a tower. I've never built a tower before in my life, but uh, I think I can still get something out of it. This is what he says. He goes, so you want to build a tower? I'm like, well, how would you know, Jesus? Won't you, <laughs> won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees you, they're just going to ridicule you, saying, man, this person began to build, and they weren't able to finish what they started. Or suppose a king. Never been a king before, but let's say you're a king. You go to war against another king. First, you've got to sit down consider whether with 10,000 men you're able to oppose the one who's coming at you with 20,000. If the king is not able to, he's going to send a delegation while the other is still a long way off, and he's going to ask for terms of peace. So he gives just two practical examples of counting the cost. He says you want to build a tower. You want to go to war. Calculate the cost first. See if it's something you even want to do. Because, and this is the point, because if you do it, it's going to cost you something to do it. And in the same way, Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, it's going to cost you something to be my disciple. In fact, he goes on to say, it's going to cost you everything. Everything. And by the way, can I just say this is what I love about Jesus? He doesn't pretend that following him isn't going to cost you something. He isn't being sneaky. Right? He isn't just kind of sliding it in. No, he just comes out right there. No secrets, not holding back. He goes, hey, listen up. There's a cost. I kind of feel, and I'm just being honest with you, I kind of feel like the modern way we do church and the modern way we do evangelism, sometimes it feels just a little sneaky. You know, come to Jesus. It won't cost you anything. No sacrifice, just rewards. No cost, just benefits. And I think a lot of people actually sign up for that version of Christianity, right? Just like me, we're all looking for a good deal. Especially if you put free on the sign, I'm there. Free hot dogs, sign me up. Furniture, I'm not going to buy, but I'll take the hot dog. (laughs) See, when you sign up for that version of Christianity, this is what happens. With this kind of gospel, this is what happens. You end up 
with, I think we all struggle with this in our walk, but we end up with lukewarm Christians who aren't willing to get uncomfortable for Jesus, who aren't willing to carry their cross. And so you like the ideas of the benefits, like you love like joy and peace and eternal life, like that's a great one. And so, yeah, Christianity, like rah, rah, Jesus, number one, until it gets a little uncomfortable, until the journey actually begins to inconvenience you or mess with your plans or cost you something. And so you get many followers just when the going gets tough. Yeah, no, they just leave. Actually, you, you thought I was going to say the tough get going. Well, yeah, they get going into another state. Like they're just gone. Right? You, you preach this message. Well, you know, God just wants you to be happy. God just wants you to be happy. Amen. Praise the Lord. Preach it, brother. Yeah, God just wants you to be happy. But then something happens that doesn't make them happy. Well, I guess this whole Jesus thing that the preacher talked about doesn't work. So, whoop, whoop, shoop, I'm gone. Haven't counted the cost. Haven't counted the cost. If there's one thing I can say about my life is I knew what I was getting into. I knew what I was getting into. I, I might not have known all the details. I have definitely made a whole lot of mistakes. But I knew that following Jesus was costly. It's one of the rich treasures of growing up in a Christian family. Because I heard the stories of pain and trials that my great-great-grandfather, great-grandfather, grandfather, that they all faced as ministers of the gospel. I heard about their depression. I heard about their feelings of abandonment and isolation. I saw with my own eyes, my very own two eyes, great sorrow and heavy hearts in my older brothers. One's eight years older, one's 11 years older, both senior pastors in the local church. But I saw the pain that they carried. I remember my dad. My dad was here at first service. He told me all the time from the moment I can remember, I remember him telling me again and again and again that, hey, Danny, 11 out of the 12 disciples were killed. He told me there's like a five, six-year-old, seven-year-old. He just told me again and again, hey, Danny, just 11 out of the 12 disciples were killed. Are you willing to die for Jesus? Are you willing to die for Jesus? 11 out of the 12 killed for their faith. I did not come into this thing with rose-colored glasses. And in first service, I said, thanks, Dad. I think. Thank you. Maybe. But I'll never forget, 2012, become the senior pastor here. A couple awful things happened that I had to deal with pastorally. And I just remember telling my men's small group. And back then we would meet in here on Thursday nights and then we'd break into smaller groups. And I told my small group in that room that's now the nursery, I, I said, you know what, guys? I'm not happy, but I am faithful. You ever been there before? You know, I, I'm not having the best time in my life, but I am faithful. Jesus isn't leaving me and I'm not leaving Jesus. And as much as I knew, I had counted the cost. And some of you, I, I just feel this, some of you might need to settle this in your own life today. Do you know there's a part of you that has wanted to abandon ship? There's a part of you that has wanted to run. And maybe run because of excuses or, or run because of your pain or run because of a broken heart. And, and you've wanted to run to different things, whether it's addiction or the world or just the self. You ever have those moments where you just kind of run to like, well, this is just going to be about me, myself, and I. But I think the Lord might be speaking to some of us today that maybe, just maybe, you've been living a version of Christianity that said that everything was going to be easy and fun and everybody would like you and nothing bad would happen. Now, it's interesting. When I say something like that out loud, no one in this room is like, yeah, you know, I, I've thought like that. Actually, we're like, no, I would never think that way. 
But be honest. Get deeper. Get deeper. Get deeper. Inside of you, there was something inside of you that thought that this whole Christianity thing would be a little bit easier than it is. Right? Come on, let's be honest about that. But today, what I'm, what I'm sensing from the Word and by the Holy Spirit is that He is calling us again, regardless of how long you've called yourself a Christian, but He is calling us, stirring us up again to count the cost. Because maybe you signed up for a version of Christianity that never included you giving Him everything and carrying in total vulnerability and commitment and surrender, carrying your cross. And God, today, at 11.54, He might be asking you to actually sit down with Him and maybe for the first time in your life, get real with Him. Consider what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus, and I love Jesus, but He is not like those teachers or those preachers or those evangelists that say it's not going to cost you anything to follow Him. In fact, if you get real with Jesus today, He's going to get real with you. Listen to how real Jesus gets in Luke chapter 9. He says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, they'll lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Life spring. Are you willing to lose your life for Jesus? And unfortunately, with, with questions like that and, and lines like that, they just become so Christian-y, right? They just sound like a good bumper sticker or a good poster. But in the most human way, could we just ask that question? Am I willing to lose my life for Jesus Am I willing to surrender and give him everything? You know, again, that's what I love about being at that conference for this last week and, and seeing 87 different countries represented and being surrounded by all these people who are kind of messy, not perfect, on the journey, in process. But there's a part of them that says, yeah, I'm in. Like, I'm all in. Are you all in? Are you all in? Don't use the person to your left or right as an excuse for not being all in. Don't use your circumstances for an excuse for not being all in. Don't use the pain of your past as an excuse for not being all in. I hope you would be all in today. I hope that I would be all in today because God is worth it. Jesus is worth it. The eternal life that he offers, it's worth it. The joy in the midst of heartache. The peace in the midst of the storm. He's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. The infilling of the power of the Holy Spirit to help you every step of the way. It is worth it. Right now, He is worth it. He's worth you giving Him everything. Because on that cross, He gave you everything. He gave you everything. He carried His cross. The perfect Savior, the perfect sacrifice. He carried His cross. He made a way for you and me to live with Him forever. 
And if we surrender to him today, if we commit to truly becoming his disciple, I'm not talking about just saying we're a Christian. I'm not talking about just checking off the box that says, yeah, like Christianity on the survey. No, I'm talking about truly committing to becoming his disciple. I promise you, one, it's going to mess things up. You cannot and will not stay the same. But number two, it is worth it, worth it, worth it. Because then and only then you can begin to walk out the true, abundant, fulfilled Life that Jesus has called each one of us to live. But you must first decide to carry your cross. I hope you will decide. All of us. I just hope we will decide to give him everything. Carry our cross. Count the cost. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I just pray. Right now we know that there's a journey that we're on. There's a journey. And and some of us, the journey feels impossible. For some of us, the journey feels too hard. For some of us, the journey is just way more pathetic and awful than we ever thought the journey would be. But right now, you are calling us to go deeper in the journey with you, Jesus Christ. That regardless of how it's gone in the past, right now, you are calling us to new things. Right now, you are calling us to new legs of the journey. Right now, you are calling us in new directions of the journey. And I just pray right now a faithfulness would rise up in the second service. I don't know where these people are coming from. I might not even see some of them again. But I pray, Lord, that a stubborn faithfulness would rise up in this place today. That no longer Satan would keep them sleepwalking. No longer Satan would keep them in their rooms, huddled, locking the doors, safe from the world, but they would go out on the adventure and the journey that you've called them to, God. But before they go on that journey, they would count the cost. Lord, I just even see that there would just become a wise group, just a wise follower, a wise follower that will not let disappointments and heartaches and trials and suffering take them off course. A wise group that no longer would allow the things of this world to take them off course, but instead they would just be this endurance and perseverance would rise up and a joy and a hope and a love and a peace that no one and nothing could steal away would just rise up within them. God, I pray a stubborn faith over this place, a stubborn faith over this place, That would no longer run to excuses, would no longer run because of pain, but would press in, press in, press in. Lord, I I just felt it this whole day that there's some people that you've just called the deeper waters. That's been so strong on my heart all day. Just there are people who are still trying to just keep one foot on the shore and one foot in the water. And Lord, you are calling some people to jump. To jump into the waters, to let go of their safety and their security and, and let go of those things that they thought were, were the things that would make them happy. They thought were the things that would keep them safe. They thought were the things that would keep them secure. You're, just, you're calling them even now, Lord, to let go of those things and to jump into a place where they no longer can survive on their own. That, that's the danger of being in the deep waters is you actually need help. You actually need a savior. You actually need someone to resource you, to give you something to drink, to give you something to eat. When you're in the deeper waters, it is no longer you in control. It is no longer your will being done. But you are now saying, God of the universe, God of heaven and earth, would your will be done in my life? Would you right now give me what I need to do what you've called me to do? Lord, we just pray and we invite your spirit, knowing you're already here, but we invite your spirit to call us to deeper waters. And the message is so clear today. That as we go into that next step of this journey, that God, you are challenging us today by your word to count the cost and to carry our cross. 
I thank you for that, Jesus. I thank you for that, Jesus. I thank you for that, Jesus. Lord, forgive us for any gospel that we've preached other than the gospel that you preached. That we want to be your disciples. We want to be your disciples. Teach us, show us what that looks like. You know, the reality is, church, as we continue to pray, the Lord has been speaking so loudly over the last five, six weeks. And, and it's hard. It's like it, it, some of you, I know you're just growing into what does his voice sound like? What does his move look like? And so, Lord, I just pray in this atmosphere that you would continue to teach us what you look like and sound like. That we would have that discernment of your move and, and how you're moving and where you're moving. And so, church, just for the next minute, if we could just stay here in silence, in the quietness of just a rest in his presence. And we've been doing a lot of talking today, but just allow his spirit to speak to us. Because he is calling us. He, he, there's a call of the Lord in this place. I just know that he is speaking special, intimate, beautiful callings over our lives. And I just pray, Lord, in this moment that you would just begin to speak those things as we listen for your voice. Jesus, you're either God and the Savior of the world or just an insane person that we need to flee from as fast and as quickly as we can because your words do not allow us to stay the same. You challenge us in this moment. You challenge us to give you everything. God, we've tried to redefine you and, and make you into something you never were. 
But you have called us to a radical faith where nothing and no one would compare to you, to the glory and the goodness of you. We are your disciples. Hear us, Lord. Hear our cry. Hear this place. Hear your sons. Hear your daughters. We are your disciples. And we give you everything. And we're going to make a mess of it. And we're going to screw up. And we're going to trip up. But Lord, you're going to get us back up on our feet. And we're going to keep on going. We're going to keep on moving forward. We will not quit. And we know you won't quit either. That you're faithful to complete the good work that you started in each one of us. So God, here we are. We've decided to follow you, Lord. Warts and all. Good, bad, and ugly. Here I am. Half the time I have no clue what I'm doing. But I'm here to follow you, Jesus. Because I love you, Jesus. And more importantly, you love us. So we worship you today. We worship you, Lord. Praise your name.